the summer, I've gone swimming way more than I have in the last couple of years. Uh, we've swam at friends' houses. Last week, I served at the fourth and fifth grade week of camp at Lake Springfield Christian Assembly, the camp that we uh, support here, and swam in the pool every day out at camp, had a big time. Um, a month ago or so, my family, uh, my side of the family, we all went down to uh, Holiday World in Santa Claus, Indiana, and they have not only a theme park, but a huge water park that they are adding to all the time, and it's one of the greatest water parks ever. And so, you know, you go in there, and we did water slides, there's wave pools, they have one of those awesome, like, kid play areas with a giant bucket on top that, like, fills up and, like, every few minutes dumps water on the whole thing, and it, it's just fun. There's splash pads and the whole thing. They even have these things called water coasters. I don't understand how they work, but they, they're really fun, um, and you get in, like, a big group in a tube, you know, and you're going all over the place. It was pretty great. Um, now, I don't know how they, how they do this. I don't know how all the logistics of how they pipe and run and filter all of that water, right? I don't get it, okay? But one thing I do know, at least I'm convinced, at least at Holiday World, was that after their water runs through a f their filtration system, it's got to run through some kind of giant refrigeration system before it gets pumped back into those wave pools because it was so brutally cold. And I'm the kind of person that as much as the fun is at all the pool stuff, okay, if the water feels cold, I almost cannot force myself to get in. So it might not surprise you that when I get into the pool, I'm the take the stairs guy that's just like, okay, you can do this, man. And I'm like giving myself a pep talk as that line of knives works its way up my body. And I don't know why it's worse, but like around the belly button, that's, there's a transition that takes place there, and it is awful trying to get, like, okay, if I can just get past that, I think I can go all in, right? And it's just, I'm, I'm, that's how I get in the pool, slow and steady. It's miserable, but that's how I've always done it. And I do think that the water park is the worst place for people like me because you play in one place for a little bit, and you get used to it, and then the kids are like, let's go over to that thing. And you get up out of the water, and you walk a good distance to go on a water slide, and you stand in line, and you dry off, and then you go to get in that raft to go down that water slide, and you start the process all over again. And so that's how I am. Okay, you, That's the kind of way that I enter the pool. Okay, How many of you are like me, and you enter slow and steady and miserably. Yeah, a lot of us, right? Now, how many of you are the jump in and get it over with people? And you think the rest of us are dumb, right? And I'll be honest, I think you're right, okay? I think there is something like, why don't we just jump in, get it over with? It takes two seconds. You go, whoo, but it's done after that, right? Um, let us know. If you're watching online, how do you get in the pool, okay? Are you a slow and steady person, or do you just jump into the deep end and get it over with? Now, I'll admit, like I said, jumping in is the better way. Just fully committing, far, far, far superior. But for some reason, uh, for me at least, there's just like a part of my brain, once I touch that water, once I know it's, if it's cold or uncomfortable, there's just a part of my brain the entire time going, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. It's, it's trying to, it's like there's a half of my brain that's like, okay, this is going to be fun, let's swim. And the other half of my brain's going, are you sure? It's nice and comfy out here, and you're dry, and it's not awful. How about you just stay out here? And so I'm having to like wrestle with myself the whole time to get in the pool and force myself to go deep 
deeper and deeper as part of my brain wants to hold on to the comfort of being warm and dry. But yet, once you go for it, once you just get in there and do it, you acclimate, and it's way better. You can swim, you can enjoy, you can go to the deep end, you can play in the games, you can float on a raft. Once you acclimate, it's way, way better, far superior, and you can have a blast. Now, hang on to that. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Because today what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up this teaching series that we've been in through the book of Mark called A Beginner's Guide to Greatness. And what we've been doing is looking at teachings of Jesus, statements of Jesus, that if we listen to them, we'll make our life better. And, and not better in, in the ways that we often think our lives need to get better. But when we listen to Jesus and we follow and obey his words for us, our lives will undoubtedly get better in ways that maybe we never even anticipated. And so we're just going to get right in today and look at one of Jesus' most famous statements ever in Mark chapter 12. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing. So what's been going on is Jesus has been kind of going back and forth with uh, a group called the Sadducees. Uh, The Sadducees were a, for lack of a better word, a denomination of Israelites. Um, And there's another group called the Sadducees. There were several of these, Pharisees, excuse me. So there are a lot of these. But this particular instance, it's Sadducees. And Jesus is going back and forth. And they're always trying to trip him up by asking him hard questions, right? And so this scribe is listening. And he hears them disputing with one another. And he sees that Jesus answered them well. He saw that every time they tossed a hard question at Jesus, he always had a really wise answer. So he decides to ask his own question. So the scribe walks up and says, and ask him, ask Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Okay? And now, um, a scribe, because if you ever read the New Testament, they're always listed with like either scribes and Sadducees, scribes and Pharisees. They're always kind of lumped in there, and they're almost always considered the bad guys. Uh, The scribes were people whose jobs was uh, built on their ability to read and write. Like you can kind of hear it, scribe, they write, scribble things down, right? And so that was like all the jobs of a scribe, and it didn't just have to be religious. There were other places where these kinds of jobs, they could be a lawyer, uh, they could be somebody who handled the correspondence for some really rich, powerful family, they could work for the government, doing government correspondence, that kind of stuff. But their jobs were always built around their ability to read and write, because not everybody could do that in the ancient world. But when you look at the at the, the Jewish faith, when these were scribes, they were teachers of the law, almost like religious lawyers in that they would argue and debate the, the right way for people to live out the laws of God and determine who was breaking them or not. And, and like I said, these people were almost always in the New Testament, in the first uh, four books of the Bible, they're almost always pictured as the bad guys. And for people who are Christians, as we read the stories over and over in the New Testament, and you hear scribes and Pharisees, you just kind of automatically like, oh, bad guys. But here's a guy that shows that they're not all just like faceless evil people that are like, you know, walking around like, trying. we're going to get that Jesus. Like, they were real people who were honestly most of the time trying to do the right thing. And, and, And a lot of them just got led astray. And here's a guy who just has heard Jesus, and he's starting to be convinced a little bit. He's starting to wonder, is there something to this guy? And so he asks Jesus a question. What's the most important commandment? And in the Old Testament law of Moses, there were over 600 commandments. And he's saying, okay, Jesus, of all these 600 commandments, which one's the best? And and I love the way that he asked this question. And it's important 
for why he, there's a reason why it was important to him, but there's an also a reason why it's important to us. Now, the reason why it was important to him was because what all the Jewish leader, religious leaders were saying was that Jesus was trying to lead people astray. He was trying to trip people up so that they would miss out on the true story of God. And so when he says, what's the most important commandment? The Jewish people at this point, they'd already kind of figured that out. They already had a, a standard answer for this question. And so he's asking and saying, okay, let's just find out. At the heart of it all, is Jesus really way off track or does he agree with us? So that's his reason for asking this question. Now, another reason why it's important for us to, uh, for this answer that Jesus gives is because Jesus is going to kind of essentially tell us what our faith should be about. He's going to tell us, okay, when all else fails, here's what it means to be a Christian. Here's what you should focus on. Because being a Christian can be a little tough and confusing at times. It can be hard to figure out what to do. Reading the Bible can be really hard and confusing. Um, sometimes you can think, do I, am I praying the right way? Am I praying the right kind of prayers? That can be difficult for a lot of people. Um, there's times in your life where you want to know, okay, I've got a couple options with my life. Which one would God want me to take? And that can be hard to figure out too, right? But the way Jesus answers this question, it's almost like he's saying, okay, amidst all the confusion and all the days when it's hard to figure out what to do as a believer, he kind of puts a big dot on the map and says, here's the main thing. And as long as you're moving toward this, in this direction, you're doing okay. Here, when all else fails, head to this most basic of principles. And here's Jesus' answer to the most important commandment of all. Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord, is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, whoops, hit the button, and with all your strength. The second, you can ask about a second, but the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, I got to tell you, I love that this guy says, Jesus, what's the number one commandment? And Jesus gives him two. I love that. I don't know if anybody's ever asked you to pick your favorite of something, and you're like, oh, God, I'll decide. What's your favorite restaurant? Oh, I don't know. Can I give you my top five? Like, have you ever had that where you're like, I can't pick one? If someone ever asked you, what's the best flavor of ice cream? Uh, okay, well, like 90% of ice cream flavors are amazing, so how do you pick the top flavor of ice cream? Right? Like, so you want, there's times when someone asks you a question, like, there's too many to pick from. Can I give you more than one answer? And that's kind of what Jesus does here, and I really, really appreciate it. He picks two. And the first of them is a command, what was known to the Jewish community as the Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word that simply means hear. And that's the, the, the first word you saw there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this had, again, been identified by most Israelites. It was agreed upon that this was the most important root of their faith. It was the heart of their faith that there was one God, and Israel's God was the one true, real God of the universe, and that they needed to love that God with heart, mind, soul, and strength, meaning they needed to love him with absolutely every fiber of their being, that we should use whatever we have to show our love and devotion to God, our brain power, our emotional energy, our days at work, our words, our thoughts, everything in us goes towards showing love and affection to God, primarily that that is what our faith is all about. Now, when I talked to you earlier about getting in the pool, okay, what Jesus is saying here, 
is that what I want you to do when it comes to faith is dive in. All in, holding nothing back, not ease into faith, but once you believe, you go all in with your devotion. But weirdly enough, a lot of us don't always handle our faith that way. A lot of people don't handle their faith that way. Rather than jumping in and going all in with what God wants for us, with the path that Jesus has laid out for us, we like to tiptoe in. We like to live in both worlds, half in, half out. And yet Jesus here, in this, by saying that this is the first, primary, most important commandment, Jesus is calling us to go all in. And he's saying that is the essence of the Christian faith, all in, holding nothing back from God. Jump in all the way to the deep end. Now, it's only when we go all in with Jesus, though, that I think we truly experience the transformation and just the goodness that we kind of all hope to find when we pursue God. I mean, we want our lives to be different. We want to find hope and transformation and change and a better life, right? That's what we hope to find. And, and I think only when you go all in can you really find that. Because when we fully devote ourselves to loving God with every second of every day, with every bit of energy and skill we have, what we have to do is let go of ourselves. We have to let go of our wants, of our desires, of our cravings. We have to let go of our willingness to do what we want to do in every situation. We have to let go of all the evil cravings that we have, the, the bits of lust and greed and anger and laziness and pride in our soul. We have to let go of those things being in charge and to say, what I crave is not my guiding force. God's will is my guiding force. I don't live for me anymore. I live for him, totally in. Um, it, and being totally in acknowledges that God's way is always good and my way isn't. Now, we live in a world that says, whatever your way is, it's good and fine and do what you want to do. I don't think that holds up to scrutiny. I think I've seen a lot of people who did what they wanted to do and they ended up hurting a lot of people. I've done there's been times when I've just done what I wanted to do and I've hurt people. When, or, or even times when like, it wasn't obvious that I was doing something wrong, but you've had those moments where nobody's watching, and you do a few things that weren't quite okay, and you just got away with them. Like I know that m doing my thing, what I want, always giving in to my heart's cravings, that's not good. And I don't think it holds up, again, when you start to really look at it. And so to say, I'm all in with you, God. I want to love you with everything in me means I'm letting you direct my life because my way is not always the best way, and your way is always so good and right. And so we let go of ourselves, we let go of the evil desires of our flesh, and we give our lives to living God's way. And to fully love God means dying to yourself. What I want, what I crave, my hopes, even sometimes my dreams, we let go of that stuff. And to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength is to stop using the energy of your life for yourself. And to use the energy and action of your life for God and his purposes and his will. But what so many Christians have chosen is instead of diving in and experiencing the joyful freedom of diving into the deep end and going all in with God, is we've chosen the painful in-between, half-in, half-out-of-the-pool thing. And it is painful, by the way. Just as painful as it is to be half in the pool, it's, it's, there's a lot of pain that gets created when you try to be half a Christian, half devoted, half living for God. And there's a lot of times where there's areas of our life where we just hold back. 
We just don't want to give God all that. Um, if I'm being honest, I think there's a, the reasons we hold back is because I think it'll be more fun. Right? Can we, just, it, can we just admit that? Like, it's not some grand theological proclamation that we don't want to follow the words of Scripture and we don't want to give the way we should give and serve the way we should serve. That sometimes it's just like, I think it'll be more fun if I do things my way than if I do them God's way. That's, that's kind of the heart of a lot of it. And, and we just want to do what we want to do. And we don't surrender our lives, our energy, and the things that God has given us to use for him. We just think, I'm going to use this how I want to use it. And what we end up being is kind of this mixed-up abomination. I mean, God speaks more evilly sometimes, in places in Scripture against the lukewarm, half-in, half-out Christians than people who are all the way out. I don't know how many of you have ever watched the TV show Friends most of us have probably caught a glimpse of it a time or two. And this is a little bit of a dated reference because the show's been off the air like 15 years. But with streaming services, nothing is over ever, right? Um, the Office, for example, is big, a bigger show now than it was when it was on the air. So who knows, right? Um, but there's one episode of Friends in particular that's kind of famous. It was one of the Thanksgiving episodes where Rachel was given the task of making the dessert for Thanksgiving, which is a big deal, right? You're cooking for Thanksgiving is a big deal. And, and it was a bigger deal for her because typically she was not good at doing anything with food, and she ruined everything she touched. But she's like, I'm, I've grown up a little bit. I'm more mature. I can do this. And she really pressed hard to get, let them let her try. And so she decides she's going to make an English trifle. Um, have you ever seen one of those, like, you probably haven't. I don't even know what they're called. Um, they're a cylinder glass dish. With, you make like dessert with all the layers, right? What's the name for that? Parfait dish? Did somebody else say something else? Oh, it's called a trifle, th a trifle bowl? Yeah, okay. See, it's an educational Sunday for all of us at church. Um, well, me at least. And so, she, you know, it's, it's one of those desserts, though, those layers of like cake and cream and fresh fruit and jam and custard, and you just repeat the layers, right? So it's supposed to be this all dessert layers, right? And the cookbook she's working out of, two pages get stuck together, and she ends up, making two different recipes layered together. And so in the midst of all these delicious dessert ideas, she's got a layer of sautéed beef with peas and onions. And she's not even, it's, she's not even paying attention. Like, she's just, I'm going to follow the recipe exactly. I'm a grown-up. I'm not going to ruin it. I'm not going to deviate. I'm not going to ask questions. I'm going to follow the recipe. And so she ends up making, like, two of these things that do not go together getting mixed together. And everybody catches on to it before she catches on to it. And, and they all just want to be so nice because they see that she's worked so hard. And everybody's taking these bites, and there's this, like, giant variety of, like, people that they handle, like, trying not to gag and be grossed out in front of her, right? But everyone's, I mean, they're all acknowledging, this is horrible, this is gross, this is a thing that should not exist. And, and because it's a mixture of two things that don't go together. That's what we are when we decide it's okay for me to go half in with God. That's okay for me to, to give him some of my energy, to give him some of my attention, some of my devotion, but not everything. We become this really grotesque thing that is not only distasteful to God, but our world finds it distasteful. Because they can pick up on the hypocrisy that exists in Christians that are not fully devoted to God. And we become this mix of this 
old, selfish, me-first person in parts of our lives, and then we have this other message where we're like, no, God first, and we want to be godly, we want to be great, while there's other areas of life where we are protecting our selfish sinfulness, and we become this really weird mixture. Like, you might be a person who comes to church every week, but you're full of greed and stinginess. You could be a person who's generous with money and yet incredibly judgmental and likes to tear people down and look down on people who aren't in the same position as you. You might be someone who makes sure your kids never miss a church event or activity, but you never show or model the the love of Jesus in your home. Uh, You could be the kind of person who comes to church and is gentle and kind and smiling, and at work you're just a monster who treats everybody terribly. You see, we become these weird mixtures, and what's happened is people outside the church have come to church, and they've seen us out there and in here, and they're like, that doesn't go together. And if you were so nice to me at church, but you were so rotten to me at work, if that's what Christians really are, if all of that stuff at church, and if it's all one big show, if everybody's putting on a fake veneer of niceness and sweetness only to be a monster everywhere else, this is nothing. Christianity's nothing, and I don't want anything to do with it. And our world has declared that we are hypocrites, that we are judgmental, that we are angry, and that we are fake and phony. And in a lot of cases, they're not wrong. And it's not that their judgment is bad, it's just that they've walked in and they've seen a bunch of mixed up abominations that are half this and half that. And it's something even more disgusting than somebody who is far from God, who's just at least honest about who they are. And Jesus says, enough of that. Enough of that. Enough of that half in, half out stuff. If you're going to get in the pool, get in the pool. Stop standing there insulting yourself and insulting my ways and just do it get in or get out because unfortunately the world now associates christianity with hate judgment all these negative things not the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control that's not what people think of when they see us because that's not what we've let guide our lives And so Jesus says, leave behind everything else and follow me. Go all in. But that was just the first commandment. Jesus saying, go all in. Second commandment that Jesus kind of smushes together with the first one to say, yeah, these two, they both. Let me pick two ice cream flavors. Is is the, the command to love your neighbor as yourself. And what's funny about that is he's saying, you already love yourself. Like, that's already kind of part of the problem, is you just love you, you want to live for you. That's the problem we have. He's saying, take that energy that you normally put into loving you and love your neighbor that way. Instead of looking out for your best interest all the time, look out for their best interest. And the reason why these two commands go so beautifully together, love God with all you got and love your neighbor as yourself, is because until you've made that decision to fully love God with everything that you are, you're not going to be able to love people as fully as you can. Because first you've got to say, God, I'm letting go of me. I'm saying my way is not best. I'm letting go of my cravings and my desires, and I'm getting out of the way so that I can walk the road that you have for me. And only once you've kind of gotten out of your own way can you look at the people in your life and be a better husband and and wife, mother, father, friend. Only then can you be as generous as you've been called to be. Only then can you be as loving and kind, as gentle as you can be. But you can't truly love your neighbor until you first decided that God is your first 
and only and main priority. So the more you got, love God, the more you will be able to love people. The more you love God, the more you will be able to love people the way that God wants us to love them. But if you're just a half-in, half-out person, you're never going to do that. You're not going to be able to love people the way that God wants you to. And that's kind of what I think the world has felt, that we don't love people. We don't love them. They can't, they can't really tell or measure necessarily how well we love God, but they can feel how well we love them. And our world is full of people who have said, I don't know if Christians really care about anybody but themselves. And that's because we have not made this, chance, this choice to fully go all in. And it's almost like when we're half in with God, um, God is kind of like our backup plan. Uh, I've watched shows where this kind of gets played out in like a dating relationship. right? This, uh, uh, this one show, um, the two main female characters were, were talking and one was going on, oh, I'm so single and life is horrible, you know, that typical sitcoms nonsense right and the and the and the the other female friend has a, a male friend come in and he's really great and the girl's like why can I, should i date him and the friend's like no nah, i don't think you want to date him and you come to find out that she didn't really want to date this guy right now but she was keeping him kind of as a backup option like if i if i go out and i don't ever meet anybody incredible i'm gonna kind of try to uh, you know end up with this guy like as a backup plan it's almost like that's how we treat god like, I'm going to do my own thing, try to achieve my own happiness, but if anything goes sideways and not, doesn't work out, I want to make sure that God's got me here. If tragedy happens, I want to be able to go to pray. If my life ends abruptly, I want to make sure I got my ticket to heaven punched. God's the backup plan, not the primary thing in our lives. Half in, half out is, is not the way that the God of the universe deserves to be treated. Partial devotion is not fitting of the creator of your soul. And the question that you and I have to confront as believers, if you are a believer, is what are you holding back? Because even those of us who think we're all in, there's probably parts of our lives where we haven't said, okay, God, take it. Or how can I use this for God's glory? For example, when you put things in your calendar or you're looking to plan your week or your summer or whatever it is, how often do you look at all the blank space and go, how can I use this time to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? How can I use my time to best serve, honor, and obey my Heavenly Father? Um, when you're looking at your bank accounts, or you're working out a budget, or maybe just cashing your paycheck, how often do you think of your finances? Like, okay, how can I use these dollars to best love my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as myself? What is it that you're holding back from God, from letting him come in and shape and mold your life? What are the areas of your life where you're saying, no, God, you can't have this. I'm going to handle this like I want to handle it. Is it the way you talk? Is it the way you think? Is it the way you treat people? The way you talk about people at work behind their back? Is there a relationship that you know doesn't honor God that you're in, but it's fun? What is it that you're holding back from God? Because God is not satisfied with part of you. He wants all of you. In the, the New Testament book of James, James points out that God yearns jealously for you, meaning he doesn't want you to split your affection with anything. He wants all of your devotion, just like we would. I, my wife doesn't want me to be sort of devoted to our marriage. My kids don't want me to hope I'm an okay dad. They want me to try. They want me to be devoted. They want me to go all in and give them my affection and my love. God doesn't want half of you. He loves you, and he wants more for you than this broken life can offer. 
And that's why he wants you to choose to say no to the life and yes to him so that he can show you a better way. He loves you and wants more for you than this broken life. And yet one of the reasons why I think we try to hold on to the life outside the pool is because we, we, we fear that we're going to have to give up some of the stuff that's fun. We're going to have to give up on certain hopes and dreams. And let me just say, yeah, you might. We're going to have to let go of some of that stuff that we've wanted for ourselves and hoped for ourselves. And sometimes God gives those things back to you in better ways than you ever saw. But let me just say, even if you let go of something and it never comes back to you, ultimately with Christ, there is no loss. It's all gain. He gives you better and more than you had for yourself. So yeah, going all in, it might be costly. It might be a shock to your system when you jump into the deep end of the pool. But a life with Jesus is nothing but gain. So if you've been living with half of yourself in the pool, half devotion to your heavenly father, it's time to stop and go fully into the deep end. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for this call to supreme devotion. We can struggle with our own cravings, and, and we live in a world with endless options, and there's more to want and crave and hope for now than there ever has been. And I just pray that you would point our, our attention and our hearts and our affection to you. I pray that we would be able to see and trust that your way is better than our way, and that we would let you into every area of our life, that we would submit every area of our life to, to be lived as you want us to live it, not as we think is best, because our ways are not best. Your way is best. And we can learn so much by exploring your word and letting your spirit speak to us through it. And as we lean on the pages and the teachings that you've filled its pages with, we can know so much about how you've called us to live. And we can learn a better way. And we'll be more trusting and more honest and more giving and more generous and more loving to the people that we encounter. And our faith as we love you first and foremost, and as we choose to love others as we would typically try to love ourselves, our faith becomes this irresistible thing that people see, and they, they start to get a feeling that something is different, because they sense the divine transformations that you begin bringing about in us when we totally give our lives to you. They see the Christ-likeness in us that can only be there when we fully give our lives to you. And so I pray that we'd stop holding back and stop stunting our spiritual growth, but we would fully commit ourselves to walking the road that, that Jesus laid before us. Help us to not be people who are convinced that our way is better. Let us humbly submit to you and go all in. It's in Jesus' name we pray.